Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo. John, how's it going, my friend? It is so good. I'm. It's just been fun. This has been a fun season, Chris, because I've been having a lot of just incredible conversations with different parishes and dioceses I've been working with over the last uh, few weeks and months. Uh, I get really energized, and, and those of you who are listening know that sometimes the content that we come up with with these podcasts are inspired by some of the conversations that Chris and I have with our clients uh, in in the field and that we're working at. And, you know, because when someone brings up a question, Chris, right, we're like, oh, well, if they're asking this question, they're probably not alone. And so we put some thought to it and then we're like, well, let's do a podcast on it. So that's really what these next uh, next two weeks of episodes or next three weeks of episodes really are going to be about for us in terms of this is all stuff that's coming from you guys in terms of the conversations we have with our clients. So I love, I love podcasting with you, Chris. I love that we can do this for our audience. And I'm just thankful for those of you who are listening. I'm thankful that you're a part of this. It's fun. And I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely am. I mean, it, it, like you're right. Uh, a lot of the content that we come from is from the conversations that we have with people because I think if it was just from what you and I are experiencing, we would have ran out of content long ago. You know? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, you know, even though uh, I'm in parish ministry and with Parish Success Group, you're heavily involved in parish ministry. And then even with my clients, like it's limited. And so um, I know uh, you and I have had an opportunity to meet a lot of our listeners in person, like Tracy and Father Mike and, you know, um, you know, just different people who uh, are listening to the show. And so uh, we appreciate um, everything that you guys share with us, whether it's via social media or you see one of us at an event. Um, just definitely let us know what's working, what's not, and if there's something that maybe you want us to explore more. So definitely, definitely appreciate it. Um, and uh, I'm excited about today's topic. Uh, um, and I know John's excited about this topic because he's going to be going around speaking about it quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I kind of uh, wrote a book on it. Um, and we're going to be talking about not just a confirmation, but the relationship confirmation has with youth ministry, John, which I think is one of the most, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but probably creates some of the most tension between, um, youth ministers and directors of religious education, creates tension between parents, uh, teens just creates tension because I don't think we've done a great job of establishing what the relationship looks like between sacramental prep for confirmation and youth ministry. So buckle your seatbelts, everyone, because John and I are going to tackle this subject. And to tell you the truth, I don't know if we're on the same page about it. I, I, I'm willing to guess that we are because we've talked enough about it on, on the side, but you know, we might just throw down a couple of hammers and um, you know, afterwards uh, have to talk about healing. Um, and brokenness <laughs> and brokenness that's yeah, right and brokenness but uh anyway so john you're going to be going around in fact uh, i believe when this uh releases um you're going to be in la at the la congress talking about this subject um tell everyone what's the angle that you're tackling and why this subject is important to you well the angle i'm tackling for this this congress workshop i'm doing i, I entitled the workshop youth group is dead Christ is alive. Uh, and so <laughs> already kind of just get, you know, it's marketing, right? You know, so kind of get people's attention, right? You know, you people cannot dead. see, people can't see me shaking my head in just <laughs> embarrassment, but you know, like it will draw people in because the moment you say youth ministry is dead, 
Um, no, no, I, that's not what I said. What did you, you say? Youth group is dead. Youth group is Christ dead. Christ is alive. Now, Christ is alive, of course, being Pope Francis' document, but youth ministry is not dead. You know what? Youth I tip my hat because your marketing worked, because it sparked an emotion, and I'm going to run in thinking like, youth ministry is not dead, and you're going to be like, no, 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 youth group is not dead. But anyway, yeah. sorry, I digress. Go ahead. Yeah. That, well, it's been interesting. So this is, you know, I've been talking about this particular topic. Well, I've been talking about this topic for years now, but in particular, it's come up with quite a few different clients that I've talked to recently over the past, you know, four, five, six weeks or so in terms of how do we, how do we work confirmation in youth ministry? Now, we're not going to rehash the history of confirmation. We've done that on previous podcasts and, and, uh, and how we got to this place where confirmation is happening at the adolescent level. And it's happened after uh, First Eucharist. That's a previous podcast. We'll link to that so you can see that. Uh, if you go to episode 121 of the churchpodcast.org and, and you'll see some links to, to that. But the angle that I'm really spending some time on is, or one aspect of it, it's a kind of a bigger workshop than this, but one aspect of it is, is this question of like, how does confirmation fit into youth ministry? One of the interesting revelations that, that was said, I don't know if it was said by me or somebody else, but I'm kind of stealing it and using it now, is, is, is we said this, confirmation doesn't lead to involvement in youth ministry, but youth ministry leads to involvement and readiness for confirmation. Let me just repeat that for a second, right? And I'll let you kind of tackle that, Chris. Confirmation doesn't lead to involvement in youth ministry, but good youth ministry leads to involvement and readiness for confirmation. Chris, when I say that out loud, what's your initial reaction when you hear that line? Amen. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no. I, Amen, it, it, I believe. I believe, I believe, because um, it's so true. Um, you know, so many times we create our confirmation programs to be the on-ramp for youth ministry when youth ministry um, serves as the on-ramp for not just confirmation, but just deeper discipleship, deeper formation. And I, I, I believe that's the number one reason why churches, parishes get so stuck when it comes to creating systems and structures for accompanying and forming and developing uh, the young church is we put the cart before the horse and we wonder why it's not working. Um, it would almost... The, and I know this is an extreme uh, comparison, but I, it's almost like putting first graders in a college level course and wondering why they don't know the ABCs, you know, and it's just, uh, um, and, and we do, yet we do that with confirmation all the time. Well, we bemoan it, right? I hear catechists and, and others say this all the time. It's like, man, my kids don't even know the Hail Mary, the Our Father, right? And so already we're kind of coming at with that, at this attitude of just, they don't know anything type of thing, which of course is not healthy either. So, <laughs> Well, and we, we, we not only do it with confirmation, we do it with all sacramental prep, right? Like we, we don't have formation for adults or outside of RCIA, there's not great consistent formation for adults. So we bemoan them when they go through baptismal prep or pre-cana and they're just kind of like, all right, whatever, just tell me what forms I have to sign and when I have to show up. And then we do that to their kids, you know, in first communion and first reconciliation is, uh, you know, we expect them to walk in with this theological foundation that, um, you know, not even like St. Francis probably could like, uh, you know, <laughs> um, 
be able to embrace, you know, or, or maybe he could, maybe he's the exception, but you know what I'm saying? Like we, we have such a high bar of theological intellectual um, expectations walking in mm-hmm. and we get frustrated when uh, they don't have the heart or the passion for embracing the beauty of the sacrament of confirmation or any sacrament. And I know we're specifically talking confirmation because I think in, in my opinion, actually, it's one of the easiest places to address um, or simplest. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a perfect example of putting the cart before the horse. Well, and ex- exactly what you said, Chris, people complain and I have too, right? People complain about bemoan the fact that they're not well equipped or whatnot, you know, and, but then we don't change anything. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we keep doing it the way we've always done it. And to your point, we often do programs. Sacramento prep is a prime example of that at the level of where we want people to be, not where they're actually at. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the question we need to ask is where are the young people that we're working with? Where are they actually at? Right. And, and, and then how do we get them to where we want to be? But we've got to start with where they're at. But, but here's the other issue with this, just, I'm, and we're still setting the stage, and then we'll kind of get practical here, is, is there are many parishes I know of that confirmation is their youth ministry program, which is also not effective, right? Because you have a bunch of people, who, young people who are forced to be there, and those that want to be there despise being with the people who are forced to be there, and it creates a negative experience for everybody. Uh, and it's not effective. And, and and by the way, this is also not what you know, our bishops and our church is teaching of what good confirmation, what good youth ministry looks like. And so one of the reasons that I, I'm spending some time on this is, is I think we need to reimagine. I use that word a lot, Chris, reimagine. We need to reimagine what confirmation looks like in the context of youth ministry. Now, let me say one more thing as a setup and let's get practical here. One of the biggest challenges that folks in the parishes have about reimagining confirmation sacramental prep is diocesan policies on confirmation and sacramental prep. You agree with me there? You disagree with me there? What's your thought on that, Chris? I don't think diocesan policies ever get in the way of us trying to do ministry, so I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> As, I presume you're saying that sarcastically. <laughs> well, yes and no. Actually, yes and no. Um, yeah, it, it is sarcastic, um, but, you know, I, I think about it, even the policy that we have here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and they're actually re-looking at it, and I wish they wouldn't because it actually isn't a cumbersome, like, policy. You know, it, it actually does make sense because it promotes the idea of separate formation programs for young people. Um, and so I'm a little bit nervous that because you know, the ship, uh, the ship, the ship is sinking, that people are going to um, start making irrational moves and changing this policy. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I think, but yeah, th- this is where it does get confusing, because what you do in your diocese versus my diocese is going to impact it. And that's why when you have this box curriculum that goes out, um, even though it's for a national audience, it does not work. Um, from diocese to diocese. And, and I even realized that when I was writing Rebuilding Confirmation and even putting together our course on the um, MYMU site is that um, it was really thinking about, okay, what are transferable principles that are more succinct with canon law and um, the right of confirmation and our catechism 
versus what an archdiocese might put together. Right. So let's walk through real quickly what I've seen. I, I know diocesan policies can be very different across the country. I understand that. But let me, let me give you a snapshot of what I've seen a lot of. And, and you can tell me if the archdiocese of Baltimore is a little different. But here's what I see. Confirmation, there's a minimum age that you can do it. Oftentimes, it's 16, right? You know, sometimes it's middle school, right? It's, there's a minimum. In many dioceses, it's got to be a two-year program, right? So they got to mm-hmm. be involved in two years. And there are other types of requirements that, that we provide or encourage. Service hours, projects, retreats, things along those lines, right? And so, uh, and all those things are good, by the way. Uh, service projects, retreats, service hours, those things are obviously very, very good. Um, even the two-year thing, I don't mind that. But but what happens in this very academic world that we live in, not just as a church, but as a country, is that we've raised multiple generations of Catholics who are like, let's check the boxes, all right? Two years, check. 16, check. I've done my retreat, check. I've done my service hours, check, right? And so we're unintentionally you know, fostering that type of, of reality as like where confirmation is a graduation, right? right. But here, here's what I've been sharing with folks that has really resonated uh, with folks. And it doesn't require a change in diocesan policies. And let me just say this as a caveat. I'm not against diocesan policies, right? Uh, you know, policies, a lot of policies that, that diocese offices are put in place are, are meant to assist and help and, and, and aid ministers in the parish level do better. So I'm not anti-diocesan policies. Don't, don't, read that, uh, don't read that wrong for me. But I will say that I think there's room for interpretation on some of these policies and what they mean. So Chris, let me present a vision of what I've been talking about with folks. Uh, and I want to get your take on it. Okay. And, and I'm going to take the two-year you know, requirement and the 16-year-old requirement. Okay. First of all, Let's just assume that your energy as a youth ministry or DRE who's responsible for youth ministry confirmation, you know, is, is that you're, you're trying to do good comprehensive youth ministry based on renewing the vision and, and Christ is alive and whatnot. Well, there's assumption of youth ministry that, that youth ministry uh, takes place beginning in sixth grade, right? Uh, sixth grade through 12th grade youth ministry is so middle school and high school. And, and by the way, that's developmentally appropriate. If we're still doing heavy classroom types of things in middle school, it's time to, to relook at that um, because that's not developmentally appropriate for that age group, which is mm-hmm. why the bishops have encouraged comprehensive youth ministry in middle school. But let's just walk through, right? What this would look like. Assume you've got good youth ministry happening, you know, from sixth grade through 12th grade. Uh, and, and you've got this policy where they can't get confirmed until, until 16 and they are, um, uh, it has to be a two-year program. Well, there's always the, the, the setup. It's like the expectation is that they're involved in, in youth ministry. So, so hopefully you know, young people are getting involved in, in sixth grade and seventh grade, and they're kind of going through middle school youth ministry and into high school youth ministry and kind of exploring that. Right. And, and then instead of having kind of a formal long-term confirmation program, the idea would be, well, what if youth ministry was the quote unquote confirmation program and, and, and a young person and their parent comes up to you, their sophomore year of high school and, and says, Chris, I am, I am interested in getting confirmed this year. I know this is the age I get confirmed. I'm interested in getting confirmed. 
great. Well, they're coming to you. Chris, you with the kid and the, the parent can discern like, you know, okay, you've been involved in youth ministry for all these years and whatnot. Great. You know, you know, let, let's, let's move forward on this because you've been heavily involved in our comprehensive youth ministry program. And instead of doing a two-year program just for confirmation now, the idea would be because they've been involved in youth ministry, let's just now do a six-week or eight-week immediate preparation, which, by the way, looks a little bit like RCIA, right? This is kind of how RCIA works. Uh, and we do immediate prep for confirmation for six to eight weeks. It's not this drawn out process, but it's this very succinct process that prepares them for confirmation during the Easter season, right? Mm-hmm. You still, you're still hitting the two-year mark because they've been involved in youth ministry for multiple years, right? You're still hitting that 16 age. But, but here's the thing. Their involvement in youth ministry, it begins to help them discern their readiness, their desire for confirmation, and they come to you, right? You don't necessarily have formal registration for confirmation. The formal registration is you're involved in youth ministry. But in that process, through those years of youth ministry, we're talking about confirmation and how it happens at 16. And if, if you feel that, that you're ready for it, you know, come to us and we'll talk with you and we'll do this immediate prep. And then, and then it, you're ready to get confirmed during the Easter season. Here's, here's why I like this, and I want your take, right? Uh, first of all, it focuses on putting our efforts into comprehensive youth ministry, not a confirmation program, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it's long-term in the sense that we're preparing people for that, and the idea that young people, and I know this is a shift, right? I'm presenting an ideal vision, right? Young people and their, their parent come to you saying, we're ready for this. We want this. You guys have your analysis, which many parishes do, right? They'll do a, an interview to make sure that they're ready. Maybe there's a pastor interview that, that a, lot of, a lot of parishes and dioceses do. Uh, but now you just have a focused six-week, eight-week immediate preparation that makes them ready for it. So I like it for a lot of reasons. And, and I share that because as I've talked with parishes and dioceses about this, they're like, oh, this is really good. It fits into to kind of that discernment model, fits into this apprenticeship model that we've been talking about. Uh, and, and it's just a different way of looking at it and still falls in line with the quote-unquote policies that we have. All right, I'll stop. Chris, I've been watching Chris's face here on Zoom, and he's looked up, he's looked down, he's kind of turned his head. So I'm really, he's processing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up and let you share your thoughts on this. You know, it's interesting. Um, I like some of what you said, but I don't think it's far enough, you know. Okay. Um, And uh, because I've really been thinking a lot about this. Um, You know, let's just go back to the two-year requirement, um, which I know you addressed and and I appreciate. Um, I always have trouble with, uh, and I know you're not saying this, but I always have trouble with the two-year thing because it's like, what does two years mean? Like 104 weeks, uh, 12 months, you know, like how many hours, like, what is two years of preparation when, when someone came up with that number, like what were their intentions behind that? And then the big question is why, right? Um, you know, because, uh, for me, I think that is the biggest stumbling block, the biggest stumbling block more so than the age, more so than service hours or anything like that is the two year requirement. All right. Um, let's start with the ideal and then go into what reality is right in an ideal situation. And this is a little repetitive to what John said. So forgive me, everyone, but you have people who are part of formation and youth ministry in your parish, you know, since they were a small kid 
and out of response for their love of the Lord, uh, they come to you, you know, at a certain age and they say, okay, I'm ready to be confirmed, right? I'm ready to take this next step. And then with that, I like the idea of like a, a an abbreviated um, uh, preparation, like, I don't want to say crash course, because I really don't think you need more than six to eight weeks of like an hour and a half session uh, to go over the, um, the intellectual side of confirmation prep, right? And, but that, see, the, the problem is that's where we stop, is we only focus on the intellectual side of confirmation. We don't focus on the pastoral or the um, spiritual side of that. Because essentially what we're doing right in confirmation is um, we're being commissioned, we're going from discipleship to apostleship um, and, and going out and proclaiming the word. And so it's good to have that information, but if you don't have a heart to do that, then it's not going to happen. Now, you can't force people to change their heart, right? You can, you can only pray that God presents situations and you can try to, you know, create those opportunities where the heart is shaped and molded for that so that people can go about proclaiming the word and uh, witnessing and bringing people to Christ and, and devouting themselves to the Lord after that. I know I just threw a lot of church lingo in there. I just watched a Francis Chan video. So that's why I'm thinking <laughs> that way. But, um, you know, um, I think for me, another major part that we miss out on is the catechesis and the formation of the sponsor and um, the other men and women that surround that person, right? Now, in an ideal situation, someone's picking their godparent as their sponsor because that's who your parents has selected or you selected to begin that process with. And it's only fitting that that person is um, accompanying you um, beyond that and walking there. But yeah, um, I think to help with the pastoral side and not necessarily the intellectual side, it's working with their sponsor, who's someone supposed to be, who's supposed to be passionate about their faith and is committed to walking with this young person for the rest of their life um, to say like, okay, here are some tips, hacks, tools, you know, uh, resources that you can use to continue to engage um, in the relationship with your young person, you know, and, and it might even be worth, uh, worth it to uh, give all of our sponsors Christus Vivit and just, uh, you know, and not just hand it to them and say, hey, read up on this and, and make of it as you will, but like use that as like a template because we're, we're talking to the church about accompaniment, you know, the sponsoring godparent is the perfect example for that. So I think in addition to like a six to eight week course, and I have no problem using that word course on the, um, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit and the signs and symbols of confirmation and all that kind of stuff. We need to be working with their sponsors on these one-on-one -on -one relational, um, uh, these one-on-one -on -one relationships that are going to help uh, mold that heart and develop that spirit there. And that's when, you can start leveraging that relationship for things like service, for things like deeper discipleship, um, for certain spiritual habits. And that was one of the things I missed in my book, Rebuilding Confirmation, is I put all of that on the responsibility of the catechist, or we call the mentors, when really, and this is what we're doing at my current parish, should, uh, should be directing that on sponsors. Um, now, the reality is our sponsors aren't fully catechized all the time. Our parents aren't always fully catechized. So there's a lot of groundwork to be done, um, including looking at how we do formation for our adults and families and, and, and other things. But we need to at least acknowledge that and I think start tackling that from, from that perspective. Um, 
I love that. Can yeah. I respond to, to two points of what you said? Because I'm in yeah. total agreement with you. Yeah. So you talk about the intellectual side versus kind of the spiritual side, spiritual habits, right? You know, right. That, that you're right. We as church often falter to the intellectual side because we are very intellectual as a faith. There are very good reasons why we believe what we believe, right? You well, and, and, and it's less personal too, John. It's, right. Yeah. But, but let me, let me okay. kind of yeah, sorry. Kind of point is the eight weeks, the six week to eight week immediate preparation is meant for the intellectual side of things. The spiritual habits, the spirituality, the prayer is what comprehensive youth ministry is supposed to do and bring to the table. Right. You know, that, that, that happens, not that you ignore it during the immediate confirmation prep, but again, this is where the RCIA model is, is mirroring the RCIA model. You've got this period of, of inquiry time of pre evangelization, right? That's comprehensive youth ministry where you're doing all that. And then when they're ready, they go into the right of enrollment and right of election. Right. And then they do that immediate prep. We're translating some of that RCIA language into the sacrament of, of confirmation in the context of youth ministry, that the eight weeks is not meant to supposed to cover spiritual habits and spirituality and prayer and all those types of things. The two year, the minimum two years involvement of comprehensive youth ministry helps to do that. So that's one point I have, but you've got some thoughts. So, so yeah, here's, here's my counterpoint to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree that youth ministry does add to that developing and shaping of the heart. Um, but even so, this goes back to, you know, where that's also where I think family ministry and baptismal um, prep is huge in the godparent, right? Um, and accompanying parents, because you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I was meeting with this guy, Eric, who's um, my um, point person for... Uh, I volunteer at the local middle school once a week to do this thing called campus life with youth in Christ. And he's, he's like my youth minister and I'm a volunteer for that. And, you know, he was just talking about like, Hey, like while their central campus life after school club is the hub where real life change happens is are these small groups and these one-on-one encounters with young people, you know, after, um, after the program. And, you know, again, going back to an ideal situation or wouldn't it be cool if, you know, I'm the youth minister and I've got small group leaders for my students, but at the same time, I know that their godparents, um, as well as their parents, are involved in their life in that regards. And maybe this is a way of dancing around the whole child protection, like limitations that come about. But if I know that a student in my ministry's godparent is still present and available, then that's who... I can call or at least ask the parents to call to accompany that young person when they're going through like a faith dilemma. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, so I guess like what I'm saying is, yeah, those six to eight week cor- like classes, that's definitely the intellectual. I think we're in agreement on that, but the role of the sponsor slash godparent, you know, um, is really where I think you're going to have the most effective spiritual formation. It's not that it can't happen in those 68 week courses or in your weekly youth ministry program um, or even the small group program, but it's going to happen at a higher rate and in a more intense rate in those one-on-one encounters because they're so much more personal. Mm-hmm. So like what I would go back to even with youth ministry, right? Let's just say people are like, all right, we're getting rid of the two year thing and we're just doing six to eight weeks and we're going to build a comprehensive youth ministry program that goes from like fifth, sixth grade all the way to 12th grade, right? 
that's where I would say, all right, you know, making that a requirement before people go into confirmation is gonna it, it is gonna be a little bit dangerous because then you're gonna have reluctant participation. But that's where I think youth ministry focuses on the communal aspect, um, right? So sponsors and godparents, that's that's the accompaniment model. Um, youth ministry is the communal model, and uh, confirmation prep is the intellectual model. I love that. I know that's oversimplifying it, but sometimes I think that's just where we need to move. I think that, so I think that makes total sense to me because again, we know that the church, not John Ronaldo, the church is telling us that parents and adults need to be key in all ministry to, to young people, right? And so youth ministry is never should be just about the young people themselves is how do we get adults, including sponsors and parents and godparents involved in that, right? Good youth ministry is good family ministry, right? Now, part of that is, is a culture change too, right? Of saying that all of us as adults in the church, right? This is bigger picture now are responsible for the formation of young people, right? So that, that is a, that's changed. That's a different way of looking at, and we've got to preach on it. We've got to include that in our ministries and things like that. But that's what, that's part of what comprehensive youth ministry is calling us to Chris is that engage other adults, right? Engage the parents, engage godparents and sponsors so that they're not just engaged for those eight weeks of immediate prep, but they should be right. But that there's involvement in other ways throughout their involvement in comprehensive youth ministry. And I'm in total agreement with you. And I think you need both. I think you need the adult apprenticeship model, but I also think you need that peer community model, right? Because mm -hmm. we need peers to speak into other, their peers in terms of faith and spirituality. So I'm in agreement with you. The, the real tricky part is, again, you're already getting to that is how do we begin to implement that, right? That way of thinking. And, and that's, that's too much for one podcast episode um, because certainly we could delve into that more. But, but I, 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 the idea is just trying to get, provide some vision of what it, it could look like that's going to be much more effective in how we do Sacramento Prep. So it's not just people unwillingly going through the process and checking off the list and then you never see them again after confirmation, which is what everybody complains about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's where I invite people to reach out to, to me at marathonyouthministry.com because I've worked with a couple of parishes on this. Um, you know, being in my second parish, I've revamped confirmation program twice, like huge overhaul. Um, and so I definitely can share a little bit uh, with that. But like the frustrating part is you create a multi-year plan, right? And a multi-phase plan. And it's usually not popular with a lot of people because it's acknowledging something that's already happening that we don't like to admit. Um, because a lot of people, I, I say, my number one step is, you know, if you can put confirmation prep on hold, on pause, or I don't want to say mail it in, but just like not pour any more energy or resources into it at this time and refocus on how you're doing youth ministry throughout the parish, then that's your best first step. So many people start with trying to fix confirmation first. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier, mm -hmm. where really it's kind of like confirmation prep, the immediate prep is not necessarily the hardest or the uh, hardest part to fix, or it's really not the part that you need to fix. It's everything else that goes around it. And so usually what um, I suggest, or we suggest to people at Marathon Youth Ministry is, 
you know, look at your overall youth ministry program, starting with middle school. And how are you creating an environment where people want to be there? Next, look at the rest of your parish. Um, so outside the youth program, look at the rest of your parish and say, how are you creating environments and opportunities where youth want to be there? You know, intergenerational ministry, liturgy, things like that. And then, um, and then go into high school and, and, and go there. And then without even doing anything directly at first, you'll start to see confirmation transform. Um, because the level of enthusiasm, going back to what your original point was, John, is going to increase. And so when you see the enthusiasm increase, then you get to do all the fun little nuanced stuff with confirmation, like retreats, uh, service, uh, even those sessions, whether you use small groups or one-on-one -on -one mentoring or whatever it might be, because you've spent the time revamping and cultivating um, an intentional ministry model in middle school and high school. I love, I really, I'm excited about this one. Um, and, and I think it's a game changer, you know, in terms of, of being able to kind of help us. And I don't think it's new or innovative by yeah. any means, Chris. It's not, I, I just think I, as I journey on this faith journey, it's constantly, how do I continue to communicate and translate what the church has been saying and encouraging and what actually works into a way that works and, and to move out of the trap that many of us fall into, Chris, and I fall in, into it too, of, of doing things the way we've always done it, right? And and you, those of you who are listening know well enough that Chris and I are, are we know, we know, we we got to do things differently, right? When you think about disaffiliation of young people and you think about decline of church membership, right? This is, this is fixable, for lack of a better term. This is not a trend that needs to continue, but it takes us being bold and innovative uh, and, and in the context of what the church teaches. I'm not even, we're not even talking about anything like doing something that the church is like totally against. We're saying mm. to re let's re-examine these incredible teachings of the church and, and, and implement them in a way that works in this 21st century church. And that's what I'm excited about it. So for those of you who might be at the Religious Education Congress in Anaheim, uh, February 20th through 23rd, Come visit uh, my workshop, Youth Group is Dead, Christ is Alive. It's happening on Friday at 10 a.m. We're going to break some of this open again. Uh, and it's a little bit larger than just confirmation. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more than just confirmation as part of youth ministry, but that will be an aspect of it. So I would love to see you there if you're at Congress. Come on by, Youth Group is Dead, Christ is Alive, uh, Friday at 10 a.m. at the Anaheim Convention Center. If you're around, come check it out. Yeah, and if you happen to listen to this um, after the con Congress, it's totally okay. You can still reach out to John and I um, by shooting us an email at questions at the churchpodcast.org. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely uh, feel free to reach out to John uh, individually. He's got a whole bunch of wisdom on that. And if you are looking for more resources beyond this podcast, too, uh, definitely go to marathonyouthministry.com and, and check out our membership site. We've got a course on confirmation, uh, rebuilding confirmation, and um, a whole bunch of resources. And actually, John, we're getting ready to um, start launching resources for sponsors. Um, so um, cool. in the process of doing that as well. So you definitely want to check out and uh, make sure you visit there. But John, let's say people are just so inspired by your talk. 
um, and so inspired by your words here that they just want to reach out to you individually. What's the best way of doing that? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, reach out to me and check us out at parishsuccessgroup.com or on Twitter at John Ronaldo. And let me just say about your, what Chris is doing with Marathon Youth Ministry. Um, I, I've, I'm encouraging parishes that I'm working with uh, that have youth ministry to, to go into that. As a matter of fact, Chris, you had a conversation with one of my clients recently about that. And so I highly recommend it. You know, Chris is going to be able to really delve in deep with you all and do some really good mentoring around these types of topics. And so if you haven't checked it out uh, and are interested, especially if you're involved in children's ministry or youth ministry, um, I think this is a resource you have to minimally check out because I'll go check out his website for sure. MarathonYouthMinistry.com. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, again, uh, you can find me at that site, but you can also uh, go to the churchpodcast.org. Again, any questions you have, um, email us at questions at the churchpodcast.org. Um, also, uh, just wanted to let you uh, all know that we appreciate the feedback that you give us. We appreciate everything that you um, do in sharing this podcast. And so if you have not left a review, especially a five-star review on iTunes, please do so. Let us know how we're doing. Help us get the word out because we're all about, you know, sharing um, and, and sharing what we're learning in the trenches and uh, hopefully helping churches do ministry better. All right, John. Pleasure to talk to you about this subject. Uh, best of luck, Godspeed, as you present this topic on your journeys. Uh, would you mind closing us in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time, this time of learning and growing and being together in community via podcast, Lord. Thank you for the gift of, of technology that allows us to do this. Lord, help us... To, to, to reimagine, help us to have vision, help us to have the courage uh, to look at how we might do things better and differently in our ministry, ultimately so that people can come to know you more. That's what this is about, Lord. Uh, everything that we do in this podcast, everything we do in our ministry is to bring people to you through your church, Lord. So Lord, be with us. Give us that courage. Give us that wisdom. Send your spirit upon us so that we can be inspired um, to innovate and, 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 and get excited about what we have in our church, which is, ultimately, um, which is ultimately you, Lord. So be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.